Suspend your disbelief. Let yourself be led down a path into the world of the paranormal, where ghosts, shadow people, cryptids, aliens, and all things supernatural dominate. Immerse yourself in a dimension of ominous trepidation with your hosts, Dan, Danny, and Rachel. Welcome to the Phantom Faction Podcast. Welcome to this edition of Phantom Faction Podcast. I'm Danny. I'm Dan. And I'm Rachel. And we are gathered once again via Zoom for uh, another episode, a post-100 episode. That's right. We're in the groove, <laughs> we're in the groove now. We've almost, we've almost got it down. Yeah. <laughs> right? Almost. 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 Might, maybe another 100 episodes and we'll finally get our act together. Dan, you've been busy just finding these guests, and, uh, or are they finding you? Uh, well, I found uh, our guest that we have on today. But uh, we have a couple listeners that are going to be on our, our next couple episodes, which is mm-hmm. exciting because we really want to, you know, we just don't want to get stuck always talking to paranormal teams and authors because it gets a little dry sometimes, even though they make great guests, especially the authors because they're natural born storytellers. Mm-hmm. But but it's also nice to get, you know, that uh, that regular average everyday guy that's been tormented by spirits his whole life. <laughs> right very so, true it, and yes. it also spawns others to come forward and say that, hey i've got a right. story that's yeah. right and uh, i'm really looking forward to having uh these two guys they're both from the states uh i think one gentleman is from oklahoma and the other is from idaho but uh yeah we'll get the, all that sorted out and yeah we've got uh we have a lady from uh the stanley hotel who's going to be on. And if anybody knows anything about the Stanley Hotel, that's uh, the hotel that Stephen King based the Overlook on for The Shining. And apparently the Stanley Hotel has a a very rich, uh, dark, haunted past. And uh, we're going to have her on eventually. And I've got tons and tons of guests, really good guests coming in. So Another one tonight. That's right. And if you want to be a guest, don't be shy. Send Send us a message on Facebook. Email us phantomfaction at outlook.com and we'd love to hear from you and we'd love to hear from our guest tonight (laughs) and his name is daniel so we've got dan danny and daniel the three d's here Mm -hmm. and daniel welcome to the phantom faction podcast thanks for having me daniel you are uh one of the guides for the haunted walks out of niagara on the lake and hamilton ontario can you tell us a little bit how you got into that and where your interest in the paranormal began? And we'll, we'll move on from there. Yeah, I'll, I'll give you the Coles Notes version as it is a, uh, a very <laughs> involved story. But uh, so I, I started out kind of just with a general interest in history. And then uh, while living in Toronto, of all places, I heard about this amazing haunted house that existed in Hamilton. And it supposedly was Canada's Amityville. And there was a demon that possessed the family. And first it was the father of one family that murdered everyone and then hanged himself from the widow's walk. And then the son of another family who lived in the house supposedly murdered everyone and hanged himself. And I say that a little over the top on purpose because it was just a legend. It wasn't true. But the house had been abandoned for about 30 years or so. And it had this, this feel about it. So the people who told us about it, uh, when I asked, okay, where is it? They refused to give information because they were, they, were, they were taping a ghost show and they want to be the first ones to, to, to cover it. But being that I was a, a Hamiltonian, you know, born and raised, it didn't take too long. 
So it was this abandoned house up on the mountain called uh, Bellevue Mansion. And um, so around 2000, 1999-2000, uh, it was me and my, and my wife at the time, uh, we went and uh, now I want to preface this, the, the front door was wide open. We did not break anything. We did not force our way in in any way. <laughs> it was just, uh, you know, open. So we had a camera, we went inside, took pictures of everything. Now, maybe about three months later, uh, the house was torn down in the middle of the night, uh, a historic house. It was a shame. Uh, but we had these photos and uh, me being kind of the storyteller of the group, I uh, had this amazing the, the article and research and all that and thought what the, what the best way to post this was in the kind of infancy of what the internet is today. And we, we created a website. So I, it is considered the second oldest online paranormal community. I never really confirmed that, but either way. It, it took off. So starting with that, I was an investigator. I was kind of a journalist in the field, writing people's experiences and stories. And eventually that led to a passion and a love for storytelling in general. So the ghost walks were born out of that in about um, uh, 2004. So I've never heard of, of the Bellevue Mansion, actually. And I've been to Hamilton many, many times. Um, usually, is that the one where you just come off the QEW and it's no, you're thinking of Dundurn Castle. That that's right, Dundurn. That's where all the every Halloween you see people walking around Dundurn Castle with their flashlights and and uh, you know seeing things in the windows all the time, right? It's got a good look. Well, that's the thing, right? There is a ghostly experience at Dundurn in the windows, so they're looking in the right spot. Okay. But as well, uh, the the largest uh, cemetery in the city is right across the street. So that's that's right. Okay. But no, no, Bellevue is actually on Hamilton Mountain. It's now just a uh, an empty field. Uh, it was torn down in, in 2001. Now, before they tore it down, what kind of uh, stories were coming out of this place? It was interesting. Um, now, those legends, of course, um, as well, there was a story that was shared to me by, you know, the old saying, it's a friend of a friend has given me this ghost story and uh, talked about these uh, group of teenagers that went into the house at around Halloween time. So they go inside, uh, they're using the dreaded divination tool, the Ouija board, and they're, they're trying to contact the other side. And uh, they said that they started uh, hearing it was more like just footsteps on the second floor that eventually turned into um, like, like banging. And they said at one point it, the walls were shaking and uh, just freaked them right out. So they start running for the front door. This is where it gets a little over the top, makes me wonder, but uh, they said that um, uh, the one guy turned around to make sure his girlfriend was okay, and he saw her uh, face down on the floor being dragged backwards. So being the protective boyfriend that he is, he just, he bolted. Didn't even- <laughs> <laughs> you know, to, to be a teenager. So the next day she shows up at school uh, she's okay, right? But uh, he asked her what happened to you, and she refused to say what happened afterwards. But uh, so those stories, and just in general, the feel of this place. As I invite any of your listeners to do a search for Bellevue Mansion, just look at the picture, and you can feel the energy that surrounded this place. I'm gonna, I'm gonna have to look into that. Uh, I've never, sadly, never heard of the place. Dundurn, of course. But I guess that's more accessible to people because it's right off the highway too. 
So Daniel, you uh, you do the tours and everything, but you also mentioned that you are an investigator, a paranormal investigator. I was. Uh, so from about 99 to 2004, give or take, mm-hmm. uh, did a f- bunch of investigations. But here's the thing, and I'm sure you guys are familiar with this. Uh, it's never as exciting as you see on TV. Very so, true. <laughs> well, we're paranormal investigators as well. Oh, yeah. so so we know exactly what you're talking about. <laughs> <laughs> you know what? More power to you guys. And this is the thing. I couldn't cut it. I, I did not have the patience that was needed to be because as I'm sure you said to your listeners before, it's just that you sit there for hours and sometimes you have to come back night after night just to get the smallest amount of evidence or something that might occur you know, on TV. It happens all exciting and in the moment, but in real life, not so much. So I, I kind of gra- uh, gravitated towards uh, telling the stories, which led me to this. So my investigative career technically only lasted about five years. Do you consider yourself a bit of a skeptic as well? I uh, not not fully uh, because I've had too many experiences in my life to mm-hmm. to not believe. However, mm-hmm. I do believe that a lot of stories that I've been told have been um, made overly grand, uh, like over the top, or like uh, some stuff is hard to believe. So I always try and look at what natural phenomenon can cause it before jumping into believing in it. So tell us, um, maybe as a child, were you interested in the paranormal? Did you have an experience as a child? I did, but uh, I wasn't really that interested in it. Like I, I grew up in a house that was almost a century old. And um, I remember some experiences like uh, hearing footsteps on the, uh, the stairway at night. And it, it happened uh, quite common that, you know, my, my little kid brain just kind of accepted it as a part of the house. It wasn't the house settling. Like it was very obviously footsteps walking up and down the stairs. And my, uh, my brother uh, used to say that he'd wake up in the middle of the night and he would see a little boy uh, in his room staring at him. I used to joke and say it was me and I just like to watch him sleep, but uh, <laughs> it wasn't, it wasn't, it wasn't me. So uh, potentially uh, the house was haunted by a little boy. But uh, other than that, and kind of the overall energy of the place, and of course, being terrified of the basement, uh, other than all of that, it wasn't too uh, prevalent in my life at the time. No. What did, what did your parents think of uh, the so-called activity in the house? Oh, they didn't. They, did, they, they just ignored it. it oh, okay. <laughs> like, oh, my, uh, my, my mom, especially my, my dad, too. Uh, he was a very uh, religious and she is. And um, I guess the idea of ghostly phenomenon doesn't really fit well in those teachings. No, it it really messes with people's uh, belief system to acknowledge it sometimes. Right. Very true. But but it is a real thing. And whatever, whatever you believe in, you still have to uh, kind of accept that it's out there and acknowledge it a little bit. So Daniel, before we get into the, uh, the stories from haunted Hamilton and Niagara on the lake, uh, Let's hear some of your your own personal stories from investigating and uh, see if you can't raise the, the hackles on the backs of our necks. <laughs> uh, oh, yeah. Uh, you know what? There's been quite a few. Well, uh, let her rip. Yeah, perfect. Uh, now, the one, that, the one that stands out the most to me, uh, hands down, and I, I've talked about this before, is uh, um, it, it, so there's a house in St. Catharines. It's known as, it's called the Merritt House, historically. 
but if you know the radio station 97.7 Hits FM, that's their radio station. So that's where it broadcasts out of. Now, the house itself was built by William Hamilton Merritt, who uh, was the guy behind the Welland Canal. So he has that very connected history. Now, the house itself wasn't really open to investigators, even back then. So when uh, I was with that paranormal group, uh, we had a contact in there, one of the DJs on the radio station, and she opened the doors for us. So we set it up, myself, my wife at the time, and two psychics, Kate and Michelle. That was the team. We went inside the building. We had some, uh, some tools. We had our recorders and cameras and did the investigation. Now, throughout the evening, it was not the most active. Now, the psychics were getting tons of stuff. And even from the beginning, Kate, who was the younger of the two, uh, said that there was this male energy that was kind of taking notice of her and, and bothering her. So we uh, look in the basement, there's this amazing history, there's an old tunnel that was connected to the Underground Railway in Prohibition, uh, up on the second floor, or the first and the second floor with the stations and all the stories, but nothing's really happening. So it isn't until we leave the house and we're walking to the car. So we're going through a very dark parking lot and it's myself, my ex and uh, Michelle, and we realize Kate's not there anymore. So we turn and look, and where is she? But she's standing near the garage. Now, there's only one single light, the like amber-colored light that's shining down on her, and she sticks straight with her uh, arms at her side, and she's, she yells to Michelle, uh, he's trying to possess me. So Michelle, being the veteran psychic, she runs into action, runs up to Kate and starts uh, doing a clearing, you know, get rid of the energy, and uh, myself and my ex, we're new to this. Like this is at the beginning of my career and I'm just dumbfounded watching this. And I remember a couple of things. First, uh, the way Kate was shaking is not something that you can physically control. It's almost like if you have a fever, that kind of shaking. Uh, so I knew like it didn't seem like she was faking in any way. And the other thing that also proved it for me is the minute Michelle said the words, he's gone. The timing was just uh, creepy. The amber colored light shut off for about three or four seconds and then turn back on again. Uh, so investigation's done. We're, uh, we're out of there. And it was only maybe two or three days later that we started experiencing something in our home. So um, things would move around on their own. Um, the one experience was um, we left the living room and we'd come back a couple seconds later. And it was almost like somebody had taken like a handful of dirt from a plant and just sprinkled it all over the carpet throughout the two rooms. Uh, it like wasn't the cats because there was no paw prints. It was just like lightly sprinkled and easily vacuumed up. So uh, the other thing was that uh, when you were in the living room, uh, you felt a really deep kind of dread. And, and I'm not, you know, I'm not scared of the dark in any way, but I could not be in that room with the lights off because of that dread. And even the cats who were like, twins they loved each other uh, would try and kill each other when they were in that room the bigger one actually went for the smaller one's neck we had to pull them apart and so after a while it's just like you know this is this is too much so I, I contacted Michelle I was very new to it at that time and I asked her I said what can we do here it seems like we have something and she said okay you know you're the living being you got the energy you need to confront it and kick it out of your home and I said all right I'm going to be brave. I'm going <laughs> to, 
I'm going to go confront this thing, get it out of my place. So I went into the living room, I shut off the lights and the dread is there the whole time. And I, I, I closed my eyes and I'll never forget the feeling. It was like there was somebody standing directly in front of my face. And uh, that was enough motivation to get me to, to be angry. So inside my head, so my neighbors didn't think I was nuts. I, I started, you know, swearing at it, saying, you know, you're not welcome here. Get the F out of my home. And I felt it leave. I, I like the air lifted in the room. And I would hear later that it jumped over to, to Kate's house and she being a psychic cleared it. And, and then it jumped to Michelle and it was cleared very quickly. And as far as we know, it just went back to the, the merit house. But, but there's one thing I just want to mention very quick. I know I've been talking very long here. Oh, uh, the night before an investigation, I don't know if you guys experienced this too. If you're going into a truly haunted place, is things tend to reach out to you? Yeah. Okay. Oh, uh, oh yeah. <laughs> it, yeah. It, it happens did. a lot. It, it did uh, reach out, but it didn't reach out to us personally. It actually reached out to the building to make sure that nobody would ever get invited back in. <laughs> uh, because when we arrived there, they were angry at us. And we didn't know why until they brought us into the basement and they showed us the CD library. Like this is a radio station, right? So thousands of CDs came off the one wall and smashed against the opposite one in the middle of the night. It's not wow. something they could, you know, fix easily. And no. since then, I've actually contacted them a few times since then. And every single time I either get a, a straight out no or, uh, or they just ignore me. So this place must still have a lot of activity then. Oh, for sure. Uh, the, some of the, um, the sounds, like the EVPs, uh, tend to come through on the air as well. And there's, a, there's a clip. I, I posted it on the Ghost Walks website. Uh, if you search Merritt House, it should be in there. And uh, it's a clip from a morning show where this demonic voice came through <laughs> on the air. Wow, that's cool. The radio station with that much activity. I wonder if they go through a lot of staff. I'm not too sure. Uh, or, maybe, just, or maybe the spirits leave them alone and just don't like the outsiders coming in. I'm trying to remember actually right now if they, they ever mentioned about, you know, how it felt to be in the building. They said, yeah, because their break room was in the basement. And they oh. said that, that was always very interesting. But uh, <laughs> overall, I think they, they liked being there. So maybe the ghost accepts them. I think it, it really has to do with all the the energy and signals that are, are sent out and they're attracted to that energy. So have uh, you guys ever used a uh, spirit box on investigation? Oh, yeah, of course. If you believe in that, then, yeah, the idea of being able to communicate from radio signals is uh, is a, an important one. Daniel, let's start with the city of Hamilton and it's classic ghost stories because i you know even though hamilton's very close to where i live you know maybe 45 minutes i don't really you know and other than seeing dunder and castle posted all over facebook on halloween let's let's hear about uh its haunted history because because i know that hamilton does have a lot of uh violence in the past you know it's known as our steel town it, people refer to it as our our blue collar city uh, the Canadian equivalent of Pittsburgh, you know, that sort of thing, but uh, not really known for its ghosts, at least among the three of us. I'm glad you, uh, you, you gave all the positive nicknames that Hamilton has <laughs> <laughs> had. The, the hammer. Yeah, that's a good one too. I like yeah. that one. And the I don't hammer. like some of the other ones, but I'll, I'll take it. Oh, poor uh, Hamilton. Poor Hamilton. Good people I, down I there. Know it. 
I, I'm born and raised here. I, I was raised in the East End. I currently live in the East End. Uh, you know, I'm real Hamiltonian. And I'm proud of my city, as most Hamiltonians are. But from a ghost standpoint, people do ask that question. Well, Hamilton was founded in 1846, which is old, but not like extremely old. So where does that history come from? Well, the surrounding towns that made up Hamilton, talking about like Stony Creek, Flamborough, Dundas, Ancaster, and in the center, it used to be a town called Barton. So these towns that make up the city were all loyalist founded in the 1700s. So you have this rich history kind of like hidden under the main city itself. And um, having that history, of course, is what can lead you to some of the ghost stories. So because of this, the city's history being rich, because of it having that rough blue collar feel to it. So if we're going to have crime, we're going to have the, uh, the worst of it and the, the most unique of it. And, uh, you know, the, the history itself just kind of lends to that uniqueness of the city. But uh, some of the more uh, haunted areas, like Dundurn Castle, for example, is an interesting uh, fact about Dundurn. Yes, it is quite haunted, but no, you won't know many of the ghost stories that are associated with it because of the fact that uh, the folks who run it, which don't get me wrong, I absolutely adore them. Uh, they, they run many museums throughout the city and anybody who keeps a historic building alive is good in my books. But uh, there is one thing we do disagree on. It's the idea of ghosts. They don't believe in it at all. They'll even go a step further to say that uh, they'll discourage the discussion of ghost stories inside the buildings. So their employees as well are kind of discouraged from talking about their experiences on the outside. So you don't get a lot of great stories that uh, come in and out of the building. I'm sure we lost a few experiences because of it, but um, the good thing about Dunder and Castle is that uh, the two main stories that I've heard of uh, kind of escaped the building on their own. And that's how you know it's a real one, right? Uh, so it was a former employee who was locking up after a Victorian Christmas tour. So this is a rare opportunity. They're, they're in the building at night alone, uh, blowing out the candles. And uh, she's on the second floor. And there's like this little uh, foyer space. Where there's, a, there's a historic piano there as well. You're mentioning that. Uh, a little, uh, little foyer space. And from the end of a dark hallway that leads to the bedrooms, uh, she said she heard a woman singing. And if you guys, you know, you've had experiences, you know that the way that the human mind tends to react to a paranormal experience is it will attempt to rationalize it. It will, it will give you all the natural excuses for what it's occurring. But the first thing that went through this uh, poor tour guide's head was uh, what a beautiful singing voice. You know, it was kind of like a, a little bit of a delay before feeling all that terror. <laughs> so it's like, this isn't supposed to be happening. Uh, so thankfully, she kept her uh, her wits about her, and she you know blew out the rest of the candles and left. And the next day, she comes into the building to try and find the source of the singing, and there's nothing. It's not like they would have a, a radio in one of those rooms or anything. It just just you know couldn't couldn't have occurred. But what they uh, did realize uh, historically, you know, always look into the history, is that uh, at the end of that hallway was the bedroom that uh, Lady McNabb died in. And so this was Sir Alan's um, uh, first wife, I believe, 
sorry, historians, if I'm wrong on that. So she, she uh, died of a lung disease. So you got to, you, you put a little bit of that, uh, the common sense into it. And you say, well, if she likes singing in life, which a lot of people back then did is maybe that, you know, that's what she would be doing after death because her lung disease would have made it so that she couldn't even talk. So you think about that. But the, the other story uh, quickly for Dundurn Castle uh, also escaped. Uh, there was uh, wedding photos that were taken in the 1980s. And this one wedding party had their groomsmen standing in front of the window to the dining room. And they took a photo and this one groomsman uh, just over his shoulder in the window pane, uh, there was this weird figure. It didn't match anything around. It was daytime. There was like no reflection occurring that you could recognize. Uh, so it was uh, one of the wedding uh, folks, the photographer sends it to the Hamilton Spectator. That was a time before the computers, right? So they had the technology. They, they zoom it in and they look at this, this shape and they recognized it. Now, if you look at it compared to what was in the house, you see the connection. It was the exact uh, look and shape of a sketch of Sophia McNabb. Now, Sophia was the favorite daughter of Sir Alan, who was the man who built Dundurn Castle. And there's this sketch that was drawn by her uh, to be later husband that uh, was done of her. It's inside the house, the sketch, but it's, it's nowhere near that window. So to appear in that window would be physically impossible. So some have stated that because it's Sophia, that is Sophia's ghost that haunts Dunder. And I guess she might be the face that people always see in the windows. Maybe. Right? Like, that's the thing, right? Because it, it seems like she communicates through those windows for whatever reason. My thing is that because they don't allow the stories to get out in a way that this is how they have to get out. But that's just my own opinion. Yeah, that's right. It's, it's surprising that a place like that with so much history and wouldn't embrace its uh, paranormal uh, stories and past and, you know, use that and develop it because people love, you know, the paranormal and, and like cities like Kingston, Ontario, like they love their paranormal stuff. They've got their, their ghost walks as well. You've got the old Fort Henry there. Danny's been on their haunted walk and, and, uh, you know, it, it, I guess it depends on who's in charge. Well, right? that's part of it is an old fashioned kind of feel here uh, when it comes to the museums. But I, I find that and I really wish the fact that, you know, Americans just embrace the paranormal so much. Mm -hmm. But here in Canada, we not not everyone, but a majority of people kind of see it in a joking way. And I, and I hate that because there is a there's a realism to this stuff and that if they just open their minds to it, they would they would get that. But, you know, it, it not only filters down from regular folks, but it also filters down into our in our museums and historic places. Exactly. And, you know, like all the haunted locations on my bucket list are all in the U.S. I can't even think of any places in Canada that I'd really want to go to because we don't promote it, like you said. And like, you know, I want, I'd like love to go to the trans uh I'd love to go to so many of the prisons down there. Uh, Bobby Mackey's. Music World in Kentucky. Uh, there's so many places, right? Uh, more than you could cover in a lifetime. Well, keep in mind that, that their history is is rougher and longer than ours. And uh, you, you would never get a place like, if you know, West Virginia Penitentiary. Mm. Uh, that place is is my personal favorite. It's, it's history reads like a horror story. And uh, for that reason, and its experiences there are just uh, 
crazy. Um, but you will never get that in Canada. We just don't have that same type of history. It's it's more it's also like an entrepreneurial thing as well, right? Like King, Kingston Penitentiary, which is just closed in the past few years. People are dying to get in there to do uh, paranormal investigations. And being a pen, Canada's oldest prison, there's been tons of deaths in there, tons of violence. I'm sure the energy in there is just like palpable, and they're not letting people in. It's like, well, why wouldn't you have a ghost walk or, you know, or allow, even charge people? Just that weird Canadian mentality towards some of those things. So, Daniel, Niagara-on-the-Lake is considered to be Canada's most haunted town. And it's one of the most beautiful towns, that's for sure. And it does have a, a lot of violence in its past because of the War of 1812 and uh, other conflicts. Can we get into uh, some of the stories from there? Of course, uh, I'll, uh, I'll I'll kick it off and then just uh, yeah, ask any questions. But uh, first off, uh, people have always asked me the, the question, you know, why Canada's most haunted? And they're thinking that their town is, or maybe it's like a, it's a competitive thing, you know, I have more ghosts than you. But uh, <laughs> Niagara-on-the-Lake, you know, you, you, you kind of hit it, Dan, with uh, the War of 1812. And I think that's what kind of sets it apart. Now, you go to... England, you go to the United States, you'd be you'd be able to find places like Gettysburg, for example, where a massive war, a battle was fought and violence occurred and people died. But you'd be more hard pressed to find that on Canadian soil because we really only had that one war. And on the scheme of things, it wasn't a very big one. But Niagara on the Lake was so focused on because of its location, because it was so close to a border that could easily be crossed. And so they tried to attack it. Oh, as well, it was the Canadian capital, Upper Canada, for a little while before they moved it to York. So you have this focal point. So battles were fought at Queenston. That's where uh, General Isaac Brock lost his life. And also in the town itself, when Fort George was uh, destroyed, the town was taken over. And then when the British won in Stony Creek, which kind of like, you know, turned the tides of a battle they were actually losing at the time, uh, they wanted to take Niagara again to push the Americans out of Canada. So they go down there and as they're marching, instead of, uh, you know, like staying and fighting, the Americans retreated. It wasn't worth the lives. But of course, you know, they have to say one final goodbye. Now, some say that the Americans did this out of just wanting to cause violence. That's not true. Although they did do cause violence, but they burnt the town to deny the British shelter during a very cold winter. So it was kind of like a psychological move that they were doing. Uh, So they burnt most of Niagara on the lake. Uh, A couple buildings were spared, some small shacks for the townspeople to try and huddle in. And the British came to find it that way. So because of this violence and because of the war and what occurred there, and of course, the fact that it is one of Ontario's, and other than Quebec, maybe Canada in general, uh, most historic towns, uh, gives it that feel, gives it the history, gives it the, the ghost stories. Well, let's hear some. There's quite a bit. It's quite a bit. You want to prove that it's Canada's most haunted town. Let me tell you this. is like we, uh, we, we do an hour and a half tour. But if we told every single story, the tour would be like four hours long. It's, wow. just, it's insane. Wow. And, and once you get accepted in a place like that, 
and people are comfortable with you uh, doing the tours. At first, they were a little tense, but you know, we proved that there was an interest for it. And then all of a sudden, the floodgates open up, and everybody and their their sister is contacting us with their Niagara on the Lake ghost story. So, where to start? Where to start? Uh, a lot of the uh, the bed and breakfasts they uh, they have stories to tell. I can almost guarantee it, but they don't uh, they don't talk very much because uh, just like kind of the Hamilton Dundurn Castle feel. Uh, they, they, they're afraid that the stories might scare people away. And I, I try to tell them it's going to be the opposite and that people want to come for this stuff, but you know, they don't listen to me, uh, but, uh, (laughs) Queens Royal park, and that's named after the hotel that used to stand there. So there used to be the biggest and most beautiful hotel in the town's history, uh, stood in where the park is. And the only reason it isn't there anymore is because of, uh, the world wars, so people just, they don't see that side of it where tourism drops like a stone and big places like that just can't hold on. So they ended up closing the hotel after the second world war demolished. So they made the park. Now, the reason I'm telling you this is because uh, where the gazebo is today, there's this small uh, beach strip of sand and one of the town's resident ghosts has been seen on this. So it's a woman in a long sheer white dress and they've seen her uh, walking along the the beach. And some say that they have saw a stop, a turn and she walks into the water and disappears. So the question has been, well, who is this woman? Now, if if you look back to the war of 1812, you'd be like, oh, she's obviously a war wife. You know, she was uh, down at the shoreline looking for the British boats to come back and save them. Uh, it was something that was very common during wartime. Uh, but there is another story. Now, this is what connects us to the Queen's Royal Hotel. Because the story or legend talks about a young couple who just got engaged. So they're staying at the hotel overnight. This is the early 1900s. And the guy says to the girl very simply, uh, oh, don't worry, honey, I'm just going to run downstairs for a quick moment. I'll be back before you know it and takes off before she can ask any questions. I don't know. Maybe she was just like the curious type, right? So she follows him and she's standing on the grand staircase of the hotel, watching in horror as her fiance is talking closely and intimately with a beautiful young girl. Didn't know what it was. Didn't know she didn't like it. So she runs back up to the room. Uh, When he gets back, they get into a conversation eventually leads to a screaming match. And after a while, he can't take it. So he leaves. And the only way he can calm his nerves, a midnight row on Lake Ontario. Dumb idea, doesn't come back. So after a while, the the hotel's officials, uh, they believe the worst has occurred. They think that his boat is capsized, that he has drowned in the lake. And now they have to tell the young girl about this. So as they're telling her, Uh, The beautiful young girl from earlier that started all this comes running up to them and says, I'm so sorry to ruin the surprise, but I can't find your fiance. I'm the hotel's planner. We were planning a romantic dinner for the two of you. So at the same time she finds out her beloved is dead, she also finds out that the whole thing was just a misunderstanding. And they say the guilt of this caused her to walk out the front door of the hotel walk into the lake and drown herself. And now seen on the beach strip, they say it's the last thing she was wearing is the sheer white dress. And that location that I was trying to remember was the Prince of Wales. Hmm. Yeah. Uh, That one there, 
very historic. So the main hotel, which is the one that's Kitty Corner, uh, that's the historic piece from the 1800s. The wings that jet out from it that look like it's part of the building were built, I believe, in the 1970s or 80s for the royal visit. And that's when they named it the Prince of Wales. Uh, So the, the infamous ghost in there is Molly Maguire. Now, if you stay there, uh, people who are into the ghost uh, community, they will always request room 207. Uh, this is believed to be the spot where the following legend had occurred. So it tends to be the most active room of the hotel. So the legend that's associated with it is of this, uh, this, this war wife. So um, when the Americans seized the town, uh, the one thing that you got to look into history to find is that many of the American soldiers were quite new to war, considering they were such a new country. So they're coming in to battle the very experienced British, and that obviously took a toll. They were very nervous in many of the battles as they were fighting them. So when they're coming into Niagara-on-the-Lake, they're expecting the worst. So they're nervous, they're scared, they're tense. The worst possible time, it's dusk. You know, shadows are going to play tricks on them. There's no electronic lights to help them out. And the one soldier sent into the Maguire household used to stand where the one part of the Prince of Wales is today. Uh, he searches the house and finds nothing until he gets to the last bedroom. So he opens the door, sees this shadow standing at the window. Now, he can't see who it is, but he thinks it's a British soldier, right? Who else could it be? So he knew what he had to do. He silently attached the bayonet to the end of his gun, lined it up, and then rushed him, ran him through, watched him fall back, knew it was a kill strike straight through the heart. And that's when he sees it for the first time. Falling out from a tie on the top of her head was long brown hair. So not a soldier, but a woman. This was Molly McGuire. She wasn't standing there plotting on the American soldiers on the street like the guy thought. She was looking out to the lake, right, hoping to see the British boats come back. And she didn't know the American was there until the blade was already through her heart. So because of this death, this tragedy, and the fact that it is said that her bedroom where she died stands exactly where room 207 of the hotel remains today, it makes it the most active room. So people will uh, request it. They'll have many of an experience, the ones that I'm sure you guys have had and heard of many times, like footsteps and lights coming on by themselves. And uh, one story of those does stand out. It was a young couple staying overnight. Now they heard a crash from the bathroom and uh, she's like, you know, you go check it to her husband, but her husband's <laughs> like, let's go together. So they, uh, they go to the washroom. Uh, she was the one who opened the door. She turned on the light and here's what they told the concierge soon after a woman with long, dark hair was staring at us through the bathroom mirror. Now, I said she told the concierge that, get this, they were telling the concierge while they were checking out in the middle of the night. (laughs) It's because that the experience, they were like, we're not staying in here anymore. And they left. And it was was one of the few times in the the prince's history that this has happened. And I'll tell you, the concierge is the guy who shared it with us. Uh, He was uh, quite proud of it. (laughs) So... Uh, did the concierge ever have any of his own ex- experiences with, uh, with the spirit? Uh, I'm told. Well, 207 seems to be the focal point. 
uh, for obvious reasons, but uh, they do see a woman in the Victorian old style dress. Uh, they could see her by the grand staircase to the hotel, which is not in the main area like you think it would be. It's actually down the hallway towards the front corner. And uh, they've seen her there. Um, as for other rooms, I don't hear too much, but there has been a mention of people staying in 307, which is uh, the, the room right above 207. Uh, they'll hear noises from the room below them. And uh, a couple of them found out the next day that the room below them was empty mm. uh, when they were hearing the noises. Like people who are into the paranormal always ask those questions. That's right. Daniel, uh, Fort George is part of Niagara-on-the-Lake, or at least it's, it's just down down the street a little bit. Uh, many, many battles were fought there. Uh, like the death toll was brutal. Like people were stacked like three bodies high. Um, and a lot of paranormal stories and ghosts, you know, uh, related stuff have come out of there. Uh, ghost adventures, even early on when they were, you know, the original members, they even did a, an episode there. Is that part of your tour or is that something completely different? It isn't actually. And, and Dan, this is one of the main reasons why we can call it Canada's most haunted town. Okay. You have 20,000 people in, a, in a, a town and region, which is quite small for the Golden Horseshoe. You, it's definitely not a city. So you have this town that has two ghost walks that have been going strong for, you know, going on 20 years you have uh, 80% of the historic houses and a percentage of even the newer houses being on that land who all have ghost stories to tell. And you have a book written just about the ghosts of this small town and all comes together. So no, yeah, we don't do the Fort George ones. They actually do their own. It's through the friends of Fort George. And uh, the fact that you can have like the well-established tour there. And then also in the town, it's just, this place is just, is teeming with energy. A lot of a lot of death, a lot of suffering. Exactly. Daniel, can you tell me um, a bit about this screaming tunnel? It seems to be one of the most popular uh, areas in the Niagara. When people want to say, "Oh, I want to have a paranormal experience," they want to go to the screaming tunnel. Can you tell us a bit of backstory on that? Well, I have to say, yeah, with uh, with the screaming tunnel, I completely understand the lure of it. Um, it's very hard to find in Canada, especially a place you can go to uh, legally that you can you can investigate at night, uh, such as the Screaming Tunnel, because it's on public land. So you're, you're allowed to. They can't really kick you out unless you're making a nuisance. Um, but you didn't hear that from me. So uh, this place just has this amazing feel to it. Uh, have you guys been? No. no. Uh, I'll tell you, it's um, just driving up to it. Now, I, I, I haven't been there at night yet, uh, just during the day, because I did a couple of uh, bus tours that went there during the daytime. And you're driving down this um, gravel road. I don't know if they've paved it yet. And as you're coming down to a dead end, on your right-hand side, this massive stone tunnel just appears out of nowhere. And it's just, it's, it's so tall. It's so imposing. And of course the, uh, there's a sulfur line that goes underneath. So the first thing you're, you know, greeted with is this nasty smell that goes along with sulfur and the, just the look of it, the feel, the smell, everything just uh, gives it a real, a real interest. So 
the reason why it's been so popular is that uh, local use in, in St. Catharines in the Niagara region used to make that a rite of passage. So if you could survive going into the tunnel and doing the ritual at night, then you'd be considered cool and brave. So the ritual uh, has to do with the legend. So I'll, I'll tell you the legend very quickly first. It's kind of tragic. I, I won't go too much detail with it, but it's the story of a, a family who lived in a town that used to be not a town, but like a village on the other side of the tunnel. Uh, nothing's left of it today. But the father of one family uh, was divorcing his wife. They were splitting up and there was a custody thing with the daughter. And this man was not right in the head. So they say on one evening, completely, you know, drunk and liquored up that he, uh, he uh, knocked out his wife and then the daughter ran into the tunnel. So he chased her down. And, and this was like uh, this kind of thing where, you know, if I can't have her, nobody can just a psychopath. And he lit her on fire and she died. So because of this, the legend now states that if you walk to the middle of the tunnel at night and you take out a wooden match you light the match and hold it up in the air that you're going to hear the scream of the young girl and a wind is going to blow through the tunnel and extinguish the match. So um, I actually tried this one time. I had to, you know, uh, so it was, it was during the daytime though. So I wasn't too freaked out, you know? Uh, mm -hmm. So it was during the bus tour and they, I walked, it was me, maybe five, six other people we walked to the middle of the tunnel. I had wooden matches. I had to match the legend. So I took one out and I lit it and I held it up. And the timing was just, uh, it was kooky because I heard this weird screeching noise all around us. And the people around me are starting to freak out. And a slight gust of wind came through the tunnel. It didn't blow out the match though, but you know what I realized? It was a train. There, there's a tra there's train tracks right over top of the tunnel. And at the minute I lit the match, the train went by <laughs> and uh, <laughs> created. So I don't know if maybe that's where the, you know, the legend of the screaming comes from. It's just the train going by. I, I don't know. I don't have enough proof for that. But either way, so, so many experiences still happen at that place. And it's creepy as heck. Well, <laughs> let's go. Road trip. Yeah. <laughs> <Thanks>. <laughs> Daniel, I've got a question for you. Um, and this, this is something that I hope that you know a little bit about. There, I have been told that there's a house in Niagara-on-the-Lake that has been under construction for a very long time. And it's all boarded up. There's a, a large fence around it. And apparently this home or this property is so haunted, so active with like dark, malicious entities that even... If someone is even the least bit sensitive, you know, clairvoyant, you can't get anywhere near this place. And people have tried to get in there to do uh, ghost investigations, and they come running out. Uh, and I've heard all sorts of, of crazy things about this place. Do you, do you know what I'm talking about? I do. Now, you might be um, combining two locations. So there is a, there is a large white mansion uh, that's on... Queen Street, the main street, and uh, the, it's been constantly built up over the years. There's no ghost stories out of that one. I, I, once it was uh, rumored that Tiger Woods was going to buy it. That oh, was okay. a claim to fame. That was before the scandal. Right. Uh, but that house was not haunted. The the other one that you know is just has like a a snow fence around it. I think it's upgraded to a chain link today. 
uh, is just up the street beside the cemetery, St. Andrews. Okay. So it's this 200 year old house, not very big. It's like just a uh, decent sized house that was left by its owners about 60 years ago. So they left it in the middle of the night. It said they refused to come back. And the mysterious of all is they refused to sell it. So this house remained abandoned and unsold for six decades. They cut the grass, they shoveled the snow, but they just didn't put up a for sale sign. So you can understand that, you know, legends start to sprout out about this place. It's like, you know, what happened? And I think it would be the children of the town who came up with the best ones. They said uh, a witch once lived in the house, right? And uh, demonic rituals. And that's what brought the ghosts in. So uh, that was the, the, the story that was surrounding. So there is one legend uh, of two seven-year-old boys who went out to the house uh, in the evening time. And they're like daring each other, you know, who's going to be brave enough to meet the witch. And they get up to the uh, front door and they look down and there's a hole in the wood big enough for them to crawl into the house if they wanted to. Of course, they were too scared to even move. And as they're frozen in that spot, they saw a spark from a second story window out of the corner of their eye. So they look up and the spark turns into a flame. So they back down from the the stairs and they watch as the house slowly lights up on fire in front of them. So being that they're seven-year-old boys, they're thinking the first thing is, uh, how are we going to be blamed for this? (laughs) And they run, they bolt all the way home into their beds. They say nothing to their parents. And it isn't until the next day they come down to get their punishment and the parents say nothing. The news says nothing. There's no sirens outside. They're very confused, right? Doesn't anyone care? So they decide to be brave enough to go back to the scene of the crime. And as they're walking up to the house now on the bright, sunshiny day, they see it in the distance. And again, they're terrified because they said, unlike the night before, it looks like there was never a fire there. So it's just uh, one of the many legends about the house, but it's got... uh, quite a feel in the town, but right now it is for the first time in 60 years uh, being renovated. And we're told that it's going to be a family that moves in there and, and make it their home. Wow. Because uh, someone, a very prominent psychic told me that she had actually gone into this home uh, uh, astrally, like, like remote viewed it and had to clear out uh, human spirits that were being held against their quote-unquote will by these demonic entities on this property. Really? Okay. Yeah, so that's why I, I had to ask you about, uh, you know, some of the lo- the lore behind this this house. And I'm glad that you kind of confirmed that there is a, this place here. But, well, uh, I mean, it, it depends what you believe in. Um, the idea well, that, like, uh, Casa Loma in Toronto is a good example of this uh idea is that if a house wasn't really lived in how haunted could it be now this one in niagara and lake did have a lot of living in it's historic and it was only empty for 60 years but uh, i think a lot of the stuff has been overblown as legends with the house uh, yeah so i don't know about um how vivid the ghosts would be inside there i haven't personally found any well, you have to you have to wonder why they just up and moved in the middle of the night too, and refused to sell it to anybody too, right? That you know what that is uh, yeah. one of the more mysterious facts. I would love to go in and investigate. Unless this there's a lot of bodies buried under the floorboards, and they didn't want the, the police to figure it out. Or 
the history of that town, you never know what you're going to find. In yeah, like I'm sure there's a lot of uh, uh, skeletons under, under the under the sod in that area. Now you're starting but, more legends. That's right. That's right. Daniel, uh, thank you so much for being on the show. Uh, are, the, are the ghost walks going to continue this summer? Hopefully. For sure. Yeah, okay. no, 100 percent. The uh, the stay at home order that's going on right now has uh, curbed us, of course. But uh, starting at hopefully, fingers crossed, a Victoria Day weekend, we can uh, start them back up again. So it's just ghostwalks.com for everything. Awesome. And is there any other social media that uh, you want to uh, paranormal wise you want to plug or? Well, I don't know if uh, it's uh, I, it's not competition in any way. I like to think all the podcasts are, are friends with each other, but uh, for, for sure, I, for sure, I'm very small potatoes right now. I just started it recently. It's just called the Ghost Guy Daniel Podcast. So if anybody's oh. bored one evening, got nothing else to do after they listen to your podcast first, of course, they come over and listen to mine. So it's the Ghost Guy Podcast. Just Ghost Guy Daniel. Oh, Ghost Guy Daniel and iTunes, Spotify, all that good stuff. It's uh, everywhere I could find. Alrighty. Very cool. Thanks so much. We'll hope to have you back one day. Uh, Wonderful. Thank you for having me. It was a lot out, of fun. You get out there and uh, Rachel, quiet as usual. Oh, well, sorry. I was waiting until somebody brought me some popcorn. Like this has just been an awesome <laughs> evening. <laughs> been sucked in by the storytelling. It's been That's great. Right. Thank you for that. Um, I did make some notes if you if you want to hear them. <laughs> well, of course, it seems to be our, it seems to be our signature uh, sign off. So what uh, I jotted down for you here, Daniel, um, your passion uh, leads you to your purpose. So whenever you, you start doing something, it's always um, like a reason to it. It's like the next thing you need to learn to move to the next thing. But it's always driven by your passion. So keep that up and keep going with your passion and so um, <laughs> um, make sure you be confident in yourself because um, the more you learn about the things that you're interested in, the more you'll succeed. So keep that up too. Um, there's something that I get from you that you're a little bit concerned about. Don't worry about it. It's going to fizzle out. It's going to make it. Um, it's not going to be um, the end of the, like anything bad. It's going to be the, yeah, I just kind of get that there is something that's in the back of your mind. But yeah, the light's at the end of the tunnel. So just put it. In. The screaming tunnel. <laughs> Maybe. Oh, yeah, there you go. Um, the other thing, too, is take the time to celebrate those things that you enjoy. Um, and don't worry about the rest. Just follow that creativity that you have. And um, don't worry about the rights and the wrongs just keep that flow of your creativity that's all you have to worry about wow wow that's uh, that everything you just said rachel that makes completely complete sense to me that's that's amazing <laughs> you're Very welcome cool. <laughs> thank you yeah thank you so much <laughs> and thank rachel you. we don't plug you anymore how do people get a hold of you for a reading ah well you can find me um on facebook or instagram closet medium rachel or you could even send me an email, closetmediumrachel at gmail.com. And Rachel is spelled a little funny, M-R-A-E-C-H-E-L. Okay, thank you, Daniel. Thank you, guys. Thanks, Daniel. Phantom Faction Podcast, a podcast to educate, entertain, assist, and guide anyone involved or interested in the paranormal. To reach out to Phantom Faction, see our Facebook page or email us directly at phantomfaction at outlook.com.